You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. Today on Max's Island, I've got Katrina Mirko with me. Katrina, thanks for making the long journey out to our little piece of paradise here on Max's Island. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Tony. Katrina, on Max's Island, we love to hear those stories from our guests at that time in their life when they did something a little different, did something for themselves, did something a little bit unusual, something that others may have looked at and gone, Wow, that's a bit of a stretch. Do you have a time when that's happened to you? Tony, I have a few times that that's happened to me, but I have one particular story that I'd like to talk to you about. When did this start? This started almost a year ago, so on the 5th of December 2020. So it's very real, very fresh. It is, and it's a continuing journey. So it's something that has consumed your life in the last 12 months? Oh, it's consumed my life incredibly. It's also adapted me as well, which has been an interesting concept. I didn't actually think that I'd have to do as much adapting and looking in on myself and um, that, that I've had to do since uh, we started this little journey that we have. Introduce what happened. Right, so... I'm a big believer in the universe sometimes delivers to us what we, what we need, not always what we want, but definitely what we need. So 12 months ago, I was looking at getting a second dog for my little rescue Kalgoorlie camp dog, Comet, so he could have a companion. How old's Comet? He is now, oh, Comet's got to be two and a half now. Oh, okay, so only a young dog. He's only a pup too. So as I was saying, Commie's a camp dog. We do think he's got a little bit of dingo in him. And we thought we'd get him a little companion. I was looking on all of the Facebook sites that you do, and I looked on the Port Hedland Dingo Rescue, and they had a little dingo on there at the time who was a special needs dingo. She was obviously had some um, development issues from being rescued. Obviously she was very malnutritioned and I don't think she developed well. And they were looking for a home for her and I thought, well, that could be us because I don't like to do easy. And how old was she at the time? Oh, Daisy was 
three months old. Oh, very young. Very young. She'd just come in and they were really having to look for somebody that was going to be able to commit um, to her and her needs. Um, and what was her pedigree in the sense? Was she a classic bush dingo? Oh, yeah, she's a desert dingo. She was, um, she, they didn't have her DNA at the time that we inquired about her, but just by the fact of where she was found and the way she was found, they believed that she was 100% wild-born dingo. We put in an application and I started talking to Marshall quite a bit about Daisy because I like to do my background on things. And one day she said to me, Katrina, I think I'm going to have to keep Daisy up here in um, South Headland um, because I think I'm going to need to be a little bit involved around that. I'm really sorry. And I was like, that's fine if that's what you need to do. Like, you know, we've got to give the, the dingo the best chance that she's got. It's really hard to rehome dingoes. So can I just ask, had you ever had experience with rehoming a dingo? We had a dingo when I was a kid. I wouldn't say we rehomed our dingo. We had, my brother got a dingo. He used to work up in the mines, up in the Pilbara. And he went over to Orange in New South Wales to work as a water driller for a couple of years. So we got landed with his dingo, Bullet. Um, appropriate name for him. So Bullet came to live with us for three years while Craig was over um, working in New South Wales and there was just something about Bullet. I connected with him immediately. So growing up with a dingo and it was really interesting because it's not like the experience I'm getting now when I talk about the fact I have a dingo people are really like you've got what? <laughs> <laughs> Whereas when I was a kid it was just that's Bullet and he's a dingo. And it was, there was no, you know, I want to say stigma around that. <laughs> and, you, and you come from a world where there's stigma. There's a big thing. Yeah, Ooh. I do come from a world where there's... I feel like I'm constantly fighting stigma. But anyway, I loved Bullet. He had just a really beautiful way about him. And Michelle had said, look, you know, we want to keep Daisy up here. And then two days later, she contacted me on a Thursday night and she was quite upset and she said, Katrina, where do you live in Perth? And I said, oh, I'm in Mandra, you know, Dawesville, Mandra. And she said, I've got a dingo that we rehomed three months ago and the owner has rung me and said that she's displaying all of these behaviours. He doesn't want her anymore. Can you please just go out there and see what's going on for her? Can you just, she goes, I'm stuck up here. They, they're alpha female at the time, Elsa that was in their pack at the rehab centre and had been there for years and was the stable, you know, matriarch for the pack. She was actually um, in at the vets and they were doing some exploring of some issues that she had. She was starting to um, lose the use of her back legs. So she was dealing with that as well as a whole pile of dingoes that didn't have their, you know, their mumsy there for them. So she asked me if I'd go and have a look at this dingo and I said, oh, no, I'm happy to. And where was this dingo at the time? So this dingo was in Rockingham. Okay, so it was already down in, in, it was already here. in the suburbs. Yep. So this dingo had been here for three months. She was six months old when I laid eyes on her. So I went to Rockingham and fortunately enough, and as I said, I think, you know, the universe delivers what we need because the Friday was actually my RDO. And I said, well, oh, funnily enough, I've got tomorrow off, I can go tomorrow. So she contacted the gentleman. He was happy for me to go around to his home at two o'clock in the afternoon and meet this little dingo. And um, I got there and Tony, have you ever met somebody when you open the door to them and you automatically get a feeling of, 
I really don't want to be here. Mm. And I think working in the work that I do, I'm quite yeah. in tune to that. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and I felt that straight up. I felt, oh, I don't like you. And then I was like, be a better person, Katrina. <laughs> be a good person, don't be judgy. So I went inside and he was telling me all the bad things about this mm. little dingo. The things that she'd done, you know, she'd chewed up their Queen Anne sofa. This dingo, you know, look what she's done. And I said, mate, all puppies do that, <laughs> you know, which he didn't really respond well to. And then he basically said to me, she's out in the backyard, go and have a look at her. So I walked out and they were on a cottage block. So she had an area of three metres by three metres out the back where she could play. And then there was probably eight metres down the side of the house with maybe two metres of run. That was all she had to move in. They had banished her to outside. So she was having no human contact. There was no enrichment. There was nothing out there but dirt. And all after three months? All after three months. And it just broke my heart. And so I sat there for 45 minutes on the ground trying to entice her to come over to me. She was hiding between the back of their garage, because they lived on an alley and their garage was at the back, and her little um, kennel, which wasn't actually hers, it was the dogs before hers kennel. So it didn't even, you know, it wasn't her kennel. And she was squashed in and she just kept looking out at me and I was talking to her and throwing a little bits of jerky, which I ended up finding out she doesn't actually like. Um, we've come to <laughs> nice start. This. Yeah, nice start. Good one, Katrina. So I sat there for about 45 minutes trying to entice her out. She kept growling at me. And I went up to the gentleman and I said to him, Look, um, I don't know what you want to do here. And he said, Well, I want you to take her. And I said, Mate, I can't take her tonight. I've got to go home and prepare my other animals and I need to talk to Michelle. I don't know if she even wants me to take this dingo, you know. You know, I want to do the right thing. So he said to me, well, I'll ring her tonight and I'll get back in contact with you. He was very eager to get rid of this. And he had got her from and he had Port Hedland? From, from Port Hedland. Yeah. So I got outside and immediately rang Michelle and said, I don't know what's going on here, but this is not an environment for any sort of animal, let alone a dingo. And she had been sold on the fact that he was on property. He had sold the fact that he had a vast experience with dingoes. He'd, he'd basically sold her a lie. And I don't understand why that is. Mm. Um, but, you know, that was what he did. And I'm wondering if it was a little bit about ego. You know, just wondering. Maybe not, maybe. So I um, said to Michelle, look, I don't know if Marley, this is Marley, my darling Marley, um, I don't know if Marley is going to be able to adapt into my family. We've got two old cats, 18 and 16, and I have at the time an 18-month-old Comet, who is my world. If there's any sort of tension there, I'm happy to hold her until we can get her on a plane and get her back up to the rehab. So Michelle was happy with that because she was dealing with Elsa's issues and stuff. So, and, that, and that would have pleased the guy. Oh, he was so happy, like to the point where I was just like, you don't deserve this animal. No. You're a bit of a... Mm. Yep. And do you think on your first meeting of Marley, she knew that, that it wasn't the right place for her? Yeah. Yeah. She was a really sad little dingo. Yeah. Like really sad, very, very timid, very scared. 
Um, and when I was asking them about her feeding regime and what did they feed her, we're talking about a three-month-old dingo that you know, had came down to Perth, had been found by miners with her little sister off a mine site. They were both quite malnutrition, so they needed really good feeding regime. And I said to him, you know, what, what do you feed Marley? Give me an idea of what you're feeding her at the moment. He's like, chicken frames. And I'm like, great, and what else? He's like, no, chicken frames, that's what she gets. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so I rang Marshall and I said to him, I'm, I'm happy to give it a go. We organised with the gentleman that I'd come back the very next day. So I literally got home and started preparing my household for this little girl that was coming to us. So Saturday I contacted him and I said to him, look, I'm, I'd taken Comet to puppy school because we used to go every Saturday morning. And I used to work with some of the reactive dogs there out the back because they couldn't be with all the other dogs. So I took Comet in and I came home and we got home about 11 o'clock and I rang him up to say, look, you know, um, are we still right for this afternoon? I just want to make sure everything's okay. And he's like, oh, she's in the crate now. You can come and get her. <laughs> he was washing his hands straight away. Completely. Mm. So I was like, okay, well, I, technically I'm not meant to be picking her up for another three hours. So you're going to hold her in a little cage, cage for that. Okay, great. I'll come now. So I got there and she was in a cage and they literally, he said to me, park around the back and I'll bring her in. So he puts this cage in the back of my car. The wife said nothing. And he basically put her in the car and went, good luck. And that was Marley's time in Rockingham. So I was driving home and I was talking to her because I believe, you know, tone is really, really sure. important for animals. So I was talking to her and telling her all about this new home she was going to and who was in that home. And as I was driving home, I thought, I'll get some chicken. She's starving. You could tell she was hungry. So I got to Red Rooster in Falcon and I had my window down and she smelt the chicken. And then I could see the box jumping on the back of my seat. <laughs> so I thought, this is a good call. The treats earlier didn't work, mm. but the, the chicken's going to work. I can see this. So I got home with her and opened up the garage door. And it was really interesting because Comet, my other pup, he always comes to greet me. And I don't know if he smelt her or he just knew, but he knew there was something in that car. He didn't even come to me. He went right around the back of the car and just sat near the, the back door. And he was really, really interested in the car. So I got out the car and we took, you know, the cage inside and I left her in the middle of the room. I've got an open plan sort of house. I left her in the cage with the door shut and I allowed Comet and the two cats to come up and sniff the cage and have a look at what was in there and stuff. And then 15 minutes later, I sat down on the ground with Wendy who lives with me and Comet and the two cats and I opened up the cage and then I just started hand feeding the three because they all know the routine. <laughs> <laughs> And then about 15 minutes later, Marley popped her little head out of the cage and she looked at us and so I gestured with a bit of chicken for her and it took her about five minutes to take it. And she took that and her eyes lit up. Then she came over a bit closer and we just started feeding and the four of them together. And it was very much the pecking order of the oldest cat gets fed first and then the second oldest cat and then Comet. And I'm sorry, but you're right at the end of the line. And she needed to know that right from the get go because they need to have some strong boundaries. So yeah, that was the start of our journey with Marley. That was the first day. It was incredible. And was she 
barking? Was she restless? Was she intimidated, do you think? Or was just, had the emotional strength taken out of her by being in Rockingham and was, was just at a low that she needed to start rebuilding from? Yeah, I honestly recognised something in her eyes and it felt like broken to me. I've worked with people. So you've worked with a lot of people in trauma, yeah. mental health challenges. Well, I know you're very intuitive with when it comes to humans. I suspect you are equally as intuitive when it comes to other beings. Mm. I think that's safe to say. I actually like animals more than I like humans <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she felt a little bit broken. Um, even her eyes, she her eyes were dark. You know, she was just so scared and so timid. If we stood up, she'd run. I don't think I could actually touch her for about two weeks. If I went anywhere near her, she'd just run. She wouldn't look us in the eye, which is very normal for dingoes. And if we did try and get her eye, eye contact, she was very uncomfortable with that. We knew that straight away, so we were averting our gaze, talking to her all the time to try and make her comfortable. And she spent a lot of the first two months in my bedroom. Um, my bedroom's her safe place. My bedroom seems to be all of my animals' safe place. <laughs> I fight for the bed sometimes. Um, so she spent the first couple of months really um, just resting and I feel almost like just, I don't know, like trying to gather her strength for the next part of her journey. She was really, she was so sad. She was so sad, it broke my heart to see such a young animal to be so displaced and to feel that, you know, I honestly feel that the gentleman that had, well, I wouldn't call him a gentleman, but the, the guy that had her, as we've had Marley for longer and we're now really starting to see her true character because it's so shining through, we think there might have been a bit of physical abuse with her because we still can't to this day. She will sleep next to me, she will let me rub her belly, she will let me do anything with her now, but the minute I apply any pressure to try and hold her, she automatically tenses up. So we're still working on that in terms of her being able to trust me enough so I can get her to the vet to get her sedated and that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> so the first question I've got is, how did Comet and the cats go, especially that first night? The beautiful thing about Comet and one of the things I love about him the most is the fact that he loves everything and everyone until he has a reason not to. And he's, he's just the most... I honestly don't think we could have Marley or have her adapt as successfully as she has done if we didn't have Comet. What does he do with her? He teaches her everything. He teaches her where the lines are. He teaches her the way that we live. He teaches her what's acceptable and what's not. And he's only a young dog. And he's only a, but he's an old soul dog. He's, he's such a beautiful boy. And I think he helped him realise that we were safe for her. Yeah, sure. You know, because he, he loves us. He's so motivated to keep us happy. It's sickening sometimes. I think without Comet, I don't think this would have been as successful because she's really leaned on him. She loves her big brother. She, <laughs> she loves him. If we take Comet out walking, because we can't walk her yet, obviously, because she, we can't get her vaccinated because we can't get her to the vets. And our vets are a little bit wary about coming out and doing anything with her yet. They think she needs some more time and I, I agree with them. I'm not going to push her to meet a goal that I had that could 
inadvertently set her back again. So it's just time and patience and lots of love. And what about the cats? Yeah. We know how cranky cats can be. <laughs> well, we've got an 18-year-old cat, Kitty. She's Wendy's cat, and she went through a lot of homelessness with Wendy. So she's very attached to Wend. And um, when she moved into my house, she she's it's almost like her Taj Mahal, mm. and she very much has ownership over the house. She she. Gave us both a look, like we knew straight up that Kitty was not happy there was another animal in, because keeping in mind only a year ago she got Comet, and it had been three years since my previous pup had passed and was with us. So Kitty, and he was only like lap dog as opposed to these two bigger animals. Yeah, she didn't really like it. She's still not loving it. She doesn't love the fact that Comet and um, Marley tend to get in the way of her plans. So if she decides she's going to eat out the dog's bowl, they will both go out there and shoo her on. She really doesn't like Marley doing the mouthing, which is what all dingoes do. They grab, you know, they mouth. That's why I always look like I'm, you know, being in a fight with a um, blueberry bush. I've always got scars on me from her. And it's mouthing and it's not nasty. It's just something that dingoes do. So, um, yeah, Kitty does not love the fact that Marley likes to try and play and grab at her tail. She's not a fan of it, but she is teaching Marley. Uh, it's really interesting when you see an 18-year-old overweight, almost at the end of her journey cat, show some real spirit and go, <laughs> you will toe the line. This is my home and these are my humans and I'm not putting up with any of your bullshit. <laughs> She's very much that sort of cat. Her son, Basher, who's 16, he's a go-with-the-flow sort of cat. Marley can be all over him and it just does not bother him at all. He's just really, really chilled cat. So, yeah, the cats are still adapting. We're all adapting to her. It's such a big difference from having a dog. And I understand that people... Um, well, it's really interesting because I, I kept reading, you know, and if you have a dingo, you need to be a special sort of person. And I was like, well, who are these special sort of people? <laughs> and and what, what do you need to be these special sort of people? And what it is is it's patience and understanding and not wanting to be the owner of something, but to be the companion of something. So, you know, in the dingo world, they talk a lot about guardians and companions, not owners, because you can never own a dingo. Spirit's too free. Yeah, and they're not motivated to make you happy. They're a little bit like cats like yeah. that. You know, they're, she's... Not like a Labrador. Just no. wants to please all Not the like time. a comet either. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, it has been a massive, massive um, adapting in our home. I also am very much an orderly and keep it clean and everything has a place. And, and when you have a dingo that likes to have a swim in your water feature every morning and then go out and jump up into the back elevated part of my property and go through the dirt and roll over and then come screaming inside. That's fun. That's something that I've found really difficult to deal with, that change. Mm -hmm. I literally vacuum my house at least twice a day and I mop daily. I have to, otherwise I'm itchy because I see paw prints everywhere. So yeah, the, the adapting for her has been massive. She's done amazingly well to think that this little soul that comes from a very very long long line of you know wild animal has through her own misfortune ended up 
in suburbia. And so what's the future for her from a point of view of development? You talked about going to the vet and being cautious in, in that process. What, without you know, being specific about a path, what, what's your next few steps and what's your expectations about her development? I don't have any expectations for her development in terms of, because I don't want to put that on her, Tony. You right. know what, I just want her to be a happy little girl. Mm. And she is. Like, so it's so joyful. I honestly, you know, we talk about gratitude. I look at her in the mornings and she's running around outside and her tail's up and she's happy and she's confident and she's annoying the hell out of Comet, um, stealing his ball off him and running outside with it. And that's enough for me, for her to be able to feel that and be in an environment that is completely to foreign for where she should be and still be able to reach an emotion of being happy, that's enough for me. Yes, we do need to get her to the vet, but we've tried sedating her and that's been an absolute nightmare. I actually took two weeks off in September from work because I was going to get her in to get her fixed and I was going to spend the two weeks staying at home with her and doing the mumsy thing, looking after her. Yeah, that failed completely. <clears throat> she wouldn't even take the medication because, a, you know, a dingo's um, sense of smell is seven times stronger than a dog's. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So nothing gets past her. Um, she can smell any anything that, you know, and I was trying everything. I was almost like Martha Stewart in my kitchen, <laughs> rolling up these different medications and layering them and then putting it in chicken and, you know, and then trying to handle it. No, she would roll back everything and then leave the pill completely. It was like, oh, so frustrating. But, um, and in that, there's this like, she's a really smart, smart little species. You know, she comes from a long line of animals that... You know, we persecute in this country. Mm. They're our top land, and people say they're our top land predator. I like to think of them as our top land managers because if you take the dingo out of the environment, the whole environment is devastated, right down to the flora. You know, um, if uh, they've taken satellite photos of the dingo fence that runs through South Australia and New South Wales and Queensland, and they've taken satellite photos, and the grazing land each side is completely different. Where dingoes are, there are grasses and wild grasses and there's, you know, um, flora and fauna. And then the other side, it's just barren pits of dust. So, so they're, they're big parts of the environment, their ecosystem. They are so important mm. to our ecosystem. And yet because of the, the lobbying from pastoralists and farmers since we came here, um, they've really been persecuted. Um, and it's really, really sad because they have their place here. They, there's even this thing about, oh, a dingo's even native. And I'm like, mate, if they've been here for at least 6,000 years, I consider them to be native. Far more native than what we are. Sure. And far more native than what sheep are. You know, but it's that, you know, that thing we seem to have about, you know, humans are, seem to have some sort of right that we have more of a, a reason to be here than other species, which I just don't understand. You know, we all play our part. So what would your advice to somebody be if they've got the capacity, the space, the, the will? The patience, The patience <laughs> about rescuing a dingo. <clears throat> In two fronts, I wish people didn't have to rescue dingoes. Yeah. I wish they could be out on the land. That's, you know, if I had my dream for Marley, it would be that she could run free but it's really hard to put dingoes that have been 
would be signing her death sentence if we put her out there because she now sees me as a food source and um, you know that's part of the problem they have up on the mine sites when people are feeding the dingoes and then they come in and somebody might get a bit of a nip and you know it turns into this huge people are being mauled by them and you think yeah it's not so much mauling it's probably a nip and then they they shoot them um, as opposed to saying to the workers, stop feeding the dingoes, you are signing their death sentences. Mm. They have a right to roam out here. This is their country. And it's not even just that whole, you know, our First Nations Aboriginal people. Dingoes are incredibly important to the culture and the storytelling of those people. And the fact that their voice hasn't been heard in this is really disrespectful for me. You know, it's like telling me I can no longer have comma and I can't have any say into his welfare. It's the same thing, I think, for mm. Aboriginal people and, and the, the connection that they have with the dingo. I mean, dingoes keep people alive out there. They smell out water. They will take people to water sources and dig metres down. They can smell it. You know, they've saved many people. But, you know, we persecute things that we don't understand. And even in the dingo world, I mean, you was talking earlier about barking, and I, I think you noticed me smile, because people say, oh, dingoes don't bark. Well, yeah, they do. They just don't bark like a dog. Yeah. They do bark. Um, for the first six months we had Marley, she didn't make a sound at all. And I actually thought, great, I've got another non-verbal in the house, because <laughs> Wendy's non-verbal, so, you know, that has some challenges. And I just thought, oh, my God. And then I thought, well, you know what, if it's going to be anybody, it might as well be me. And then one day I went out... And I, as I came home, I could hear her and she was howling. And I was so grateful for that noise because I was wondering if a bit like Wendy, her trauma had made her be unable to, to verbalise in, you know. So I was really, really great. And now she won't shut up, which <laughs> <laughs> just sometimes wish she would. So as we wind up, mm. it's been an incredible story. I've, the way that you've related Marley's connection with your family, yeah. with your family and the emotion of that. Yeah. But I'm interested, you've just talked about her howling. What makes her howl and is there pleasure in that for her, do you think? So the first couple of times she howled, it was around... Um, us not being in the home with her, so I think, you know... A, a bit of separation. A bit of separation anxiety, a bit like Comet. I think she's learning that off him because he definitely has separation anxiety, particularly from Wendy. So anytime Wendy leaves the house, Marley will howl because Comet's going crazy and I think she feeds a bit off that. But she howls now... She, Funnily enough, we had music on the other day and Ed Sheeran came on and it's sort of, I don't know what that is, but she just started howling at the TV and I was like, that's interesting, she hasn't done that before. So we're going to test that theory with testing out a few different Ed Sheeran songs to see if there's something about him. <laughs> Not that he's my favourite singer or anything, but he just happened to be on. But yeah, what, what does it take to take a dingo? I think it just takes persistence, resilience, love, adaptability and... Not seeing yourself above another species, but, you know, working and walking alongside something that needs a bit of support because we all do. And she gives it back too now. She's at that point where it's reciprocal. Yeah. Katrina, we haven't had a story like this on Max's Island, so it's just amazing to hear how this unique relationship 
is happening, is evolving, and good luck to Marley, good luck to your family, and it'll be interesting to see how she develops and creates her own personality in the next few years. Thanks, Tony, I'll keep you updated. <laughs> Thanks for being on Max's Island. Thanks, Tony. And how, how it turned out this way He told me his plan, a short-term escape, five weeks on the Bibbulmun track. Go it alone, no one to blame if he finished or fell by the way. No one's an island, but sometimes it's good to pretend. Every sense was engaged, his mind was as clear as the sky. Completely alone, no emails or phone and nothing.